Hey girl, today is going to be an epic show. We have a special guest on the podcast today. I'm so excited to introduce her to you. And I just wanted to send a special shout out to you. Yes, you girl, you're an avid listener of the show week after week, and you show up here and you're the reason why I show up here because you're constantly listening, constantly wanting to hear more. And I just wanted to say thank you. Thank you for making her best self insanely successful. Thank you for allowing us to bless lives by sharing the show with others. Today, I can't wait to share with you a very special guest. Dr. Anita Johnston is a clinical psychologist, a certified eating disorder specialist, and the author of Eating in the Light of the Moon, which has been published in seven different languages. She is certainly a pioneer in the field of eating psychology and has been working in the space for 35 years. She has a residential eating disorder treatment program in Maui, where she serves as the founder and executive clinical director. She's known for her metaphors and her storytelling to be able to help explain the complex issues that underlie struggles with eating and body image. So today is super special. We have a wonderful conversation and dialogue, and I think this one's going to bless you, sis. So listen in, friend. Let's dig in to my interview with Dr. Anita Johnston. Hey, girl. Welcome to the Her Best Self podcast. I'm Lindsay Nichol, former competitive figure skater and perfectionist, turn God-led imperfect boy mom and digital CEO. If you find yourself constantly thinking about food and wondering if you'll wake up one day free from the obsessive thoughts and behaviors controlling your life, then I've created this podcast for you because I know exactly what it's like to be a downright hot mess trapped in the destructive cycle of disordered eating. I finally found freedom and you can too, girlfriend. So if you're ready to heal your relationship with food and body and break the chains of control and show up in your best health, then Grab your favorite Tarjay journal and let's get to it so you can start living your best life as your best self. I am so excited to have Dr. Anita Johnston join the Her Best Self podcast today. It is going to be fire. This lady, let me tell you, she is a clinical psychologist. She is an author. She has helped millions around the world. And I know that she is going to bless your heart today as you listen in to today's episode. We are going to be talking about how she uses storytelling, symbolism, metaphors, and myths to help people around the globe change their relationship with disordered eating. And it is just an honor. Thank you for joining me today on the show. Nice to be here with you. Yes. So I would love my guest to learn more about you, who you are, what makes you you. So if you could, in your words, share what makes Dr. Anita Johnston, Dr. Anita Johnston, and how have you gotten to this place in your life and just helping so many women find freedom from disordered eating? Well, it's been a long journey. (laughs) I'm originally from the island of Guam and where I grew up. And uh, I grew up in a very strong matrilineal culture and family. So I was always interested in women's issues. And it wasn't until later when I became a psychologist that I was working in in Hawaii with a, I was supervising a psychology intern who was doing her doctoral dissertation on the incidence of eating disorders in Hawaii at the time. And the more we would get together and talk about it, 
we said, oh my gosh, there's so many people that are struggling here. There should be a center for this. And after we said it for about the fifth time, we, we looked at each other and went, I guess we're it. <laughs> so we created um, a center. This was way back, a long time ago, 1982. And it was one of those things that when you create it, they come and girls and women of all ages all ethnicities, all shapes, all sizes, all different kinds of struggles with eating and food and their bodies. And so what I found was that these were some of the most intuitive, creative, inspiring people I'd ever met. And that kind of got me to say, all right, I want to I wanna learn more about this. Because back then, very, very little was known. Right. Yeah. I'm inspired to just keep doing it because I really love, um, love the work. That is beautiful. I, I know even in my recovery, I feel like little was known and, you know, you were the pioneer and a huge, a huge important part of so many people's recovery and their journey. So absolutely love how you weave your storytelling and the myths and the fairy tales. I mean, it just, it's amazing to read your book, Eating in the Light of the Moon. If you guys haven't read her book, you have to go get it. It's insane. It's, I love it. And you plant this language of symbolism throughout the book. And you talk about conquering your eating disorder and bringing in that feminine energy really sitting in that place. Can you share a little bit about maybe one of your favorite metaphors, or I know you do a hunger metaphor, which I love, but can you share something with the listeners today that you really feel is like one of the best ways to symbolize or to leverage storytelling in our relationship with food and our body? Yeah, I think, uh, well, my favorite metaphor, because it, it's everybody else's favorite. So now it's my favorite. And, and it's the log metaphor. And I continue to get emails and uh, from people from all over the world saying this one metaphor shifted the way they understood their struggle and was really transformative for them. So uh, I remember the day that I was sitting across the room from a woman who was struggling and I was trying to explain to her, you know, a different way of looking at it that was going to show her the exit out because she was, she was feeling trapped. She just couldn't, you know? And so I thought, okay, so one of the faculties that is most helpful is imagination. Now, the problem is um, a lot of people worry, which is a bad use of a good imagination, right? So when you learn to use your imagination differently, um, you can see things differently. So here's the metaphor. Imagine you're on the banks of a raging river. It's pouring down rain. You slip, you fall in, you're drowning. You're getting pulled down through the rapids. And along comes a big log and you grab onto it as tightly as you can. And the log saves your life. It keeps you from drowning when surely you would have been pulled down through the rapids. And eventually it carries you to a place in the river where the water is calm. And from there you can see the riverbank, but you can't get there because you're holding on so tightly to the log. So the irony is the very thing that saved your life is now getting in the way of you going where you want to go in life. 
And it's important to understand this when it comes to disordered eating. It's important to understand that it has served a function, a very important function, and it would behoove you to find out what this function is. But of course, it's always more complicated because there's always people on the riverbank yelling, let go of the log, let go of the log. And you feel like an absolute idiot because you can't let go. And the way I see it is that letting go might not be the very best thing to do initially. And that we have a wise part of ourselves that will not, will not let us let go of anything until we're good and ready. So what do you do? Well, let go of that log and try floating. And as soon as you start to sink, you grab back on. And then you let go of it and you try treading water. And when you get tired, you grab back on. Then let go and swim around it once, twice, 10 times, 100 times until you have the strength and confidence to make it to shore. Then you let go of the log. So here I am, I'm talking about a log, I'm talking about a river, I'm not saying much about eating disorders, and yet this is a metaphor for the experience of having an eating disorder because you feel like you're drowning uh, to be sure that you're just caught up in these rapids and can't get out. And and so, you know, uh, understanding that the eating disorder has helped you stay afloat. The only problem is now it's getting in the way of you going where you want to go in life. And then there's certain skills that you need to learn. And once you get those skills, you're putting the eating disorder out of a job. It's over. It's done. You don't need that log. It speaks my language. Like my heart is booming because when I read this and I've shared this with private clients and we worked through it as well. And it it was my personal story. Mm-hmm. I'm going to let it go a little bit and then I'm going to float on my back and then I'm going to grab it back. And then there's days where I'm writing in my journal and I'm like, I'm scared to gain weight. Why is this so hard? I'm grabbing it back. And I know that the listeners here can resonate on so many levels because that is it in a nutshell. And then mm-hmm. one day it really feels like that. I mean, I remember it very, very in the situation. One day you're wait. I don't even know why I want this on thing anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. need this anymore. I yeah. can separate myself. I can swim to shore. When you do that, it is the most empowering. I say this all the time. I'm sure you feel the same. I have never met the souls of the most empowering, most amazing women, most incredible creatures as the ones who have gone through disordered eating or an eating disorder. Absolutely. It's strength mm-hmm. that it takes. And then the empowerment of speaking your truth and your life and your voice. It's just, I just love how you use these stories to bring together the truth of the disorder and like the way that it can keep us stuck. And then you also bring in the hope and the healing as you talk through each of, you know, your metaphors. And I just, I love the way that the log resonates with so many people. Do you believe in full recovery? Absolutely. I I believe in full, complete recovery, recovered period. You're not always in recovery. And I believe that those who get on this path of recovery are the people the world has been waiting for. I'm in there with you. Because people who struggle with disordered eating are very emotionally sensitive, highly intuitive, very empathic, we would be in a lot better shape if our world leaders had these qualities more. 
Um, but the problem is nobody's taught them how to work with these qualities. And so that's where, you know, the Eden sort of comes into that gap. But once you, once you clear the Eden sort of, you still have these qualities. And this is what the world needs right now. So um, earlier you had asked me, how do I keep from getting burned out from all these years of, of doing this work? And this is why I feel like, you know, these are the folks that when they recover, they pay it forward. Look at you, right? I mean, you're the perfect example of that. And so um, I just, I'm continually inspired. Yeah, no, and, and it is living in the inspiration, being in the mm. present moment that yeah. the disordered relationship with food blocks you from. It right. really feels like lifting the blinders off and you're experiencing life for the first time. And that's what I love about your metaphors and your symbolism throughout, you know, not only your book, but just even having conversations with you. It's such an intuitive, easy flowing type of dynamic because the way that you have this creative mind, right? It opens up the eyes of what we deem as possible. And for so many listening, we've put these limitations and beliefs from labels over the yeah. course of our life, right? And then peeling that back and seeing it after, you know, you go through the recovery process little by little by little, and then finally getting to a place of recovered period. You know, I talk so much about like, it's not a destination. It's a journey. It's an experience. It's a pathway, whatever we want to call it. It is a process that you go through. And I feel like so many with the type of personalities uh, with the high achieving nature, the perfectionism tendencies, we have a tendency sometimes to want it and want it now. And so it's hard to live in the presence of being in the journey when you're in the journey. And then when you get to the place of recovered, you look back and you're like, wow, that was why that had to happen. This did serve the purpose it did. And so it's such a beautiful understanding through the storytelling what would you say are the most essential or the most essential skill or tool in the recovery journey? I think the first step is really changing your focus from the way you look to the way you see. So what things can really shift once you start that process of understanding that the struggle with disordered eating holds deep, profound meaning. And it's trying to tell you something about what's missing in your life or what you need more of. And so, so if ultimately, when you learn how to look at the disordered eating differently, it will point you towards the skills you need to learn. There's a, there's a saying, uh, an old Zen saying that says, don't get stuck looking at the finger pointing to the moon. Look at the moon, right? Because that's where the beauty is. So I think the first step is to recognize that the nature of the struggle and the very foods themselves are going to tell you what the skills are you need to learn. So, so for example, um, you can look at the pattern that someone eats or doesn't eat. Like, and and if you can look at the pattern, you're, it's going to show you something. For example, if someone restricts their food, that's not the only thing they restrict. They restrict 
their emotions. They restrict new experiences. They restrict intimacy. They restrict their sexuality. They put themselves on restriction if they make a mistake. So this pattern of restriction is com comes from feeling like things are too much. So when things are too much, you try to restrict, but that restriction is everywhere. And, and so you can start to see it's, yes, the food gets our attention because it can be life-threatening, but that's not where the problem lies. You, you don't have to fix that. You need to fix this pattern of what else you can do um, if life feels like too much. And, you know, setting boundaries is an important skill for that, for example. If somebody is binging and purging, what's really going on? It's not just with food, but in their in their whole of their life, they're taking in or taking on too much too quickly, then they gotta get rid of it. So they might meet someone fall madly in love and as soon as they see a flaw, they, they're over it. Or they might take a sign up for a gazillion classes and then when they get over them, drop out. Or then, or then they might meet someone, become best friends, and at the sign of a, a conflict, they ghost them. Or they might take on a ton of projects, get overwhelmed, and then drop them all. So you see this pattern of taking in, taking on too much, too quickly, and that pattern needs to be addressed. Um, if someone is struggling with overeating or binge eating, here you have the theme of scarcity. It's not just that there's not enough food, there's not enough money, there's not enough time, there's not enough attention, there's not enough appreciation. And so when there's um, not enough, or they feel like they're not enough. So that points you to a different skill. So I think following those patterns um, and understanding there's deep, deep meaning to the struggle itself. And that is trying to inform you about something. And when you get that piece, then you can start to see, this is the fun part, I have to tell you, before we get into the skills, because skills are skills. They 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 take practice. But um, when you start to see things differently, that's when your intuition can really kick in. And insight, insight is inner sight, right? And you can get it like that, you know? And so when you can start... Can I share another metaphor? <laughs> How to do that? Well, I want okay. all the metaphors. We want all okay. the metaphors. <laughs> okay. So again, we use your imagination and you imagine two tanks. And we're going to call them tank A and tank B. And tank A is the tank you fill when you need physical nourishment and you fill it with food. Tank B is the tank you fill when you need non-physical nourishment, emotional or spiritual nourishment, and you fill it with things like attention, affection, appreciation, meditation, prayer, and so on. But we don't know this. We think there's just one tank. So before we know it, tank A is full and overflowing, but we're still hungry. Or we're afraid to even begin to fill tank A because it seems like the bottomless pit. And so what has to happen is you have to tease the two tanks apart. And the way you do that is by developing interoceptive awareness, which is just a big word for body awareness. And, and it involves learning the, the language of your body, which is sensation, that is telling you when you are hungry and when you are full. And so, you know, that's an important skill to begin with, really learning to read those signals from your body and, and starting to see that um, I feel like pizza isn't a physical hunger sensation. Right. Um, so that's a skill, learning hunger and satiety in your body. Um, and then once you learn that, or even you don't have to get it down completely, but the next process is 
ruling out when there is physical hunger. So let's say you you know your hunger and satiety signals and you're reaching for the pizza and you know how to check in and you go, I'm not hungry at all, but I still want to eat that pizza. <laughs> what that means is you've just tumbled down Alice in Wonderland's rabbit hole and you've landed smack dab in tank B. And in tank B, pizza is not pizza. Food isn't food. What is it? It's a concrete physical symbol or metaphor of another kind of hunger that you're experiencing and maybe don't even know about. But the problem is it's coded. And in order to find out what that is, you have to crack the code. So I can share a little bit with you how to do that if you think your listeners would want to learn how to crack this code. Yeah, yeah, I do think that. I want to pause you for a second. As we talk about coping and real problems and true hunger, you say something in your book that I adore, and it is coping with the real problems requires skills that you may not have, and resolving them may seem like an impossible task as difficult as climbing a rainbow. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there in that, and I'm thinking, I mean, if you just imagine climbing a rainbow, it is next to impossible to imagine, yeah. right? Especially because as, as soon as you get close to it, it moves away, right? <laughs> you can even try to like, you can try to mentally imagine it, but you know it's not an impossible thing. It is an impossible task to accomplish. Yeah, and yeah. so, you know, the real hunger, what you're, which is what you're highlighting on here, mm-hmm. is that in order to heal and to change this dynamic with food, I mean, what I hear you saying and what I also practice as well, but especially what I hear you saying is that we have to be able to distinguish what we're actually hungry for in our soul. And it has nothing to do with food. Exactly. Exactly. And so that, because that's all the tank B stuff, right? Um, And that's what happens is we, we don't realize, Oh, there's another kind of hunger. And it's this non-physical hunger that no amount of food will ever satisfy. And so to find out what that is, here's the irony. And this is why diets don't work, because diets um, eliminate this possibility that the very foods you struggle with are talking to you. They're telling you what those hungers are, but they're talking in code. So to crack the code, Uh, I'll give you these categories. And if anybody listening, you don't have to write them down. You can just go to uh, lightofthemooncafe.com forward slash HBS for her best self. (laughs) That'll be a way to remember that. And um, you can get a PDF that has all of this, but I'm going to tell it to you right now. So when you start looking at the foods metaphorically, we're actually using a different part of your brain. That's how come it's coded with these answers. So sweet foods. When you're struggling with sweet foods, it has to do with either feeling like there's not enough sweetness in your life or you're not sweet enough. Just think of the way we use the word sweet, right? Like, oh, what a sweetheart, or that's a sweet thing to do, or I'm looking for the sweet spot, or oh, that's sweet. If you can think about, we use that word in a lot of different areas. And so it holds deeper meaning for us. Crunchy, salty foods typically are connected to unexpressed anger and frustration. 
Um, warm foods like soups and stews are often related to a craving for emotional warmth. Spicy foods, now we're talking about either uh, a desire for or, or not, um, have to do with excitement, stimulation, and change. And chocolate, we know this, especially with Valentine's Day coming up, right? Romance, love, sensuality, sexuality. And so once you can start to look at the foods in a different way, metaphorically, symbolically, you will get to see what it is you need. So for example, I was working with this client. She was struggling with bulimia. And I asked her, I said, if, if you could have any food in the world, any food that would have zero consequences to it, what food would that be? And she said, vanilla ice cream with strawberries on top. And when we took, uh, and I, oh, I asked her, I said, so what is it about vanilla ice cream that uh, with strawberries on top that you love so much? She goes, well, it's sweet, it's smooth, and it's refreshing. And when we took a look at what was, what was going on in her life, her boyfriend had been accusing her of not being sweet enough. She just hit a rough patch with her parents that she was really wanting to smooth out. And she was in a dead end job in need of a refreshing change. One food was really pointing us towards the areas in her life she needed to develop some skills. So that's how it works. It's pretty amazing. Um, when you start to look at the food metaphorically, symbolically, you're using a different part of your brain that's going to give you access to the answers you need. I love that. As you're talking, I'm thinking about my own food and I'm thinking about everyone here is probably thinking about the things that they're eating as well or not eating. Um, but for me personally, there will be nights where my husband teases. He's like, do you need, do I need to go get you your dark chocolate? And he will bring my dark chocolate and he will lay it on my nightstand. And <laughs> just hearing you talk about what chocolate means and even sweet, sweetness, right? It really does symbolize where I am in, in that moment, whether that's you know, emotionally, like what I'm feeling, what I'm thinking about, what I acknowledge that I need. And so even in working with clients, it's, I want this right now. I feel this, but what I need is blank. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so it's getting to that intuitive place of exactly. what it is that you need. I love this. This is amazing. Instead of going, no, 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 no to the food, bring the food in and take a good look at it, but, but look at it in a different way. And, and, and again, once you bring it into consciousness, then you can still have the chocolate, but you're not going to have the whole box because you'll be aware of what what is really going on. And so that's how that's when the magic happens. I had this client and she was an emergency room physician and she was struggling with binge eating. And one day she came in and she was so upset with herself. She said, oh, my God, I can't even believe what I did. I'm so disgusted. And I went, whoa. What did, what did you do? And she said, I can't believe, I'm so upset. I said, well, let's, what happened? She goes, well, I, I came off of work. I came home, fixed some chicken tenders for my husband and myself for dinner. And before he even got home, I ate them all myself. I can't even believe it. And I said, okay, okay, let's roll the clock back. Let's take a look. So you were working in the ER, um, tending to all kinds of, physical and emotional trauma, right? I said, what was that? 12, 14 hours? She said, right. I said, so so what do you think you were really hungry for? And I asked that question, right? 
And she said, a hug. And I said, yeah, you wanted some TLC, some tender loving care, and instead you ate the chicken tenders. Now, this may seem crazy, but this is how it works. This is how our brains work. And so um, once she got it, it's like it's over. Now, she will never be able to binge on chicken tenders without asking herself that. But if she's physically hungry, chicken tenders are just chicken tenders. But she wasn't hungry at that time. So that's why it was so symbolic. Yes, I love I love marrying (laughs) what it is we're hungry for and what it is that we're actually doing. And thinking about what we're thinking about in order to change our current situation, in order to change our beliefs about where we are in our life, in order to create that future. So I want to ask you the question that I ask all of my guests, but before we go there, is there anything else that you think would bless the folks listening today or anything that you wanted to share on today's show? Well, I think I already said it, which is I want people to know that full, complete recovery is possible. Um, And yes, it can be hard work, but I'm here to tell you there's also joy along the way. Because when you have these aha moments, when you have these insights, something lights up inside that's really beautiful. And um, so it's not just the struggle. The struggle is there. The pain is there. But there's also a lot of joy. And you are moving in the direction of a life beyond your wildest dreams. It really gets extraordinary. I will second that because I've lived it and it is is an extraordinary process. I feel like voicing and standing in your truth and then realizing you have that voice I don't know. Everything just gets so the world is possible. Everything is possible when you strip away your imagination or your limitation that you've put on yourself that you just, you know, we're never going to change or you will always be this way. Right. Like when you have that voice and you feel it and you live it, everything becomes possible. If you can recover from an eating disorder, the world is yours, essentially, is what we're saying. (laughs) So. What does your best self mean to you and how are you showing up in that today? So to me, my best self is my authentic self. That's making sure that my insides are in alignment with my outside. And I do um, work at at it. Um, I don't know if work is the right word, but um, so before I get up in the morning, I do a little meditation. I get into alignment. Uh, and then, as you said, I can step into the field of possibility. So I'm at my best when I'm in alignment and my authentic self. And that sort of bridges into, you know, your authentic, true, healthy, whole, healed version of you. And then this disordered version of you, which I know many people are in right now and experiencing that pain. But just creating that awareness for everyone listening, they're two separate versions. And we can get so involved in one that it feels like it's taking us down. And you said the Alice in Wonderland. I love that rabbit hole. And just really realizing that, you know, your true authentic self, the one that you're talking about right now is your real self. That's your being. That's who you were created to be. And stepping into her is the absolute best thing you can do for your recovery and your future. 
my metaphor for that is when you walk into a dark room, you don't try to push the darkness out of the room. You turn on the light. And so the more you can bring your authentic self into the room, that shines the light. I could talk to you all day long <laughs> and just gain so much joy and knowledge from you and your storytelling and your metaphors. I mean, I thought I loved metaphors. But now I really love metaphors and I love hearing more and more of them from you. From you, um, Can you tell our listeners where to find you today? What is the best place to find you so that they can get their hands on your book and just learn more about you and all that you've done to help so many lives? Well, you can find me at uh, my online platform, which is uh, lightofthemooncafe.com. Uh, and I have online courses, uh, so lightofthemooncafe.com. Uh, you can also find me at dranitajohnston.com. And I have a residential treatment center in Maui in Hawaii. And that's at ipono, A-I-P-O-N-O.com. And you can get Eating in the Light of the Moon on Amazon. And it's in seven languages. Yeah depending on which one you want. <laughs> yes, I love it. I love it. I love it. If you want to hear more of the metaphors, you need to go check out the book. And I would love to bring you back on the show in the future. Oh, I mean, I'd love to come love back. To yeah. to have you bless the audience. And it's just been a joy to have you here today. So I appreciate this so very much. Thank you for joining us. Guys, I hope you go check her out. Thanks for listening in today, friends. And we will talk to you real soon. Oh friend, thank you so much for letting me share what was on my heart today. My hope for this podcast is to help more women find freedom from food and body. If this has empowered or blessed you, let me know. I'd be honored for your rating and review of my show. And I'd love to connect with you in my private Facebook community. You really can move from perfection to purpose. Let's break the chains together. I'll help navigate the way. Until next time, bye for now, girl.